I'm totally biased 100% towards organic growth. It's the easiest because you get buy-in with your clientele. They're, they're used to your systems. They understand you educate them on what you can bring to value and they see value in that. Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season three on profit. I'm your host, Jordan Wayla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred units or a thousand, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today I'm talking with Benton Cotter, the CEO of RentVest, an Inc. 5000 property management company headquartered in Mesa, Arizona. With 12 offices across the U.S., RentVest is one of the fastest growing property management companies. They're on track to meet their goal of expanding into six additional markets and establishing 10,000 accounts nationwide by 2020. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about RentVest's unique approach to technology, where that makes sense, how they employ it to actually get ahead, and what you may be able to apply to your property management shop. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, appreciate having me on, Jordan. Hey, so let's start here. Background. How did you get into property management? Kind of accidentally. My background is, is technology. I actually have a computer programming degree. I've been around real estate my whole life. My dad was a real estate broker. I owned my first rental when I was 18 with my brother and sister and kind of always been around it. I actually had a buddy while I was going to school, doing my thing, working at GoDaddy. He said, hey, I'm starting a property management company. Can you help me with a couple things of more like systems and accounting, such or whatever. I kind of consulted with them for a little bit and then about a year after that, he, he said, hey, let's, let's join up or come on board. Let's, let's take this thing to the next level. I was on board. I figured I had nothing else better to do. I was still in school. So I said, all right, let's do it. Just got in there. We had 79 properties when I joined up officially. And four years later, we're at about 1,500 properties and took it from there. All right. So like many folks, it was not a, a super proactive, intentional thing. Kind of fell into it, as a lot of folks put it. Where are you guys at right now? Give me some more rough description of kind of the business in terms of staff, markets, etc. When I joined up RentVest, uh, I left that company. We started RentVest with my business partner, Jacob Ash. They actually came from the distressed property. Uh, he came from buying and, and selling at the foreclosure sites for and behalf of investors. And so when they started, they had a, about 450 doors that they managed. And then uh, he decided, hey, we like this property management business. Let's kind of go full scale on this. And that's when I came on board and decided, hey, let's take a nationwide company and establish RentVest about two and a half years ago. So right now, you know, we're, we're about 4,000 properties. Uh, mainly our properties are in Arizona and Nevada. They both each hold the majority of our, our properties where we started. And then we've grown to these emerging markets, started from scratch in most markets. Uh, we actually opened up six markets in the first six months of this year. So it's kind of a big deal for us. It was a crazy time, but we kind of just go out to these markets, digital marketing, and, and go from there. So we have about 12 markets now, or do you have 12 markets all across the U.S., even in Hawaii. We have a market in Hawaii. I think that's more just for fun, but it, you know we have a market in Hawaii there. So, But just trying to keep expanding. We do want to keep opening markets. We want to have 20 markets by 2020. And our goal is 10,000 doors uh, through either acquisitions or just our marketing channels. 
So those are some big numbers. I want to push in and make sure I understand where you're coming from with all of that. Of the 4,000 that you're managing right now, how many of those came through organic acquisition versus buying portfolios? Uh, about 35% are organic. And the rest has been through acquisitions. And, and normally what we do is if we open up a new market, we'll try to go for a smaller 50 to 150 door acquisition just to get us our foot in the ground to help pay for marketing costs as we go along. But we've kind of come across, when, we, when I very first came on, we actually came across a portfolio of 850 doors here in Phoenix. Kind of just fell on our laps, to be honest, and said, all right, let's do it. And so we've had a couple big ones, but mainly they've been pretty small from 100 to, to 500 doors. Um, and we've done eight acquisitions so far. Oh, man. All right. So right out of the gate, the acquisitions topic. I didn't think this was the direction, but I got to ask, what insights or perspective do you have on acquisitions having done some deals? Like, what do you wish you knew on day one? Oh, man. Tons of stuff. Uh, you, you learn a lot through, through acquisitions. You learn a lot about your business as well because you kind of go find comb through these, these acquisitions, these, these sellers, and then you realize it kind of full circle. Like, hey, we're not doing this either. There's tons of things that uh, mainly is do your due diligence and walk away from a deal when you're ready to walk away. Don't, don't force the deal. It's, it's, these are hard. They're extremely hard and take a lot of time. And the clients, you know, the customers are, are hard to actually get them educated and go through that process. We, we typically want assignments done, signed by the owners. In most markets, we make it mandatory, even if the real estate regulations don't. And so we have to get owner or our client buy-in. And so that's, it's extremely hard. But one thing is do your due diligence. Look it over, look over fee structure, see through the P&L. Uh, there's a lot of things in P&Ls that don't really tell you the full story. You know, even talk to clients. If you can't, they give you access to talk to clients or talk to other property management companies in the area, see the reputation of the, of the company and, and see. Sometimes it's great if they actually have a bad reputation. That means you can come in and be the savior, you know, these, these clients. But sometimes you come in and these clients don't want saving. Even though you think they need it, they, they don't understand what you're bringing and it's a lot of education to go with that, but we definitely found value in it. There's definitely a huge value in it uh, for us, especially since we can centralize everything to our main office. And so we can really slim down these offices and, and make them more profitable. And if you can target in your area and you can think, hey, I can just add 200 doors without maybe hiring one person, it's a, it's a no brainer and you can stretch yourself a little bit on the asking price, but just make sure you do due diligence is the, is the number one key is it's by far the number one key. You don't want to get into a person that you you don't want to do business with. And we've gone through that and paid for it. Hmm. So how do you think about the pros and cons of organic versus paid acquisition for somebody that already has, uh, it's all context appropriate, right? So it's hard to give a blanket answer, but for somebody that already has a little bit of traction with sales and marketing, right? They're, they're adding, let's say 20, 30 doors a month, some, some, some decent traction, do you have an inherent bias towards one or the other? Well, oh, yeah. well I'm totally biased 100% towards organic growth. It's the easiest because you get buy-in with your clientele. They're, they're used to your systems. They understand you educate them on what you can bring to value, and they see value in that. And that's why they signed up with you. And so that's number one. If you can grow 20, 30 doors, full board, I would try to double that then. I'd, I'd rather put sink my money into organic growth if you know your, your door acquisition costs you know, are cheaper than actually through organic channels rather than actually paying for the doors is hundred percent so much easier doing it yourself and growing with your marketing channels. Um, if opportunities come up, we feel like it's a good fit for acquisitions. That's where I'd go for us. We have a strategic plan that we need to get into new markets and we want to grow. And so we have some capital through our cash flow that we can actually spend. And so we want to grow faster and, and it's hard starting with zero. 
Um, when they ask you how many doors you manage in Atlanta, and you say, well, I have zero, but I have 4,000 nationwide, that gives no credibility to them. And so it's, it makes sense for us to acquire these smaller doors and things. And also we have the resources to actually take on a big portfolio. Man, if I can grow organically, I, I, we spend tons of money on marketing. And, and number one, that's by far, I can't say it enough. Organic growth is, is the place to be if you can do it. Talk to me about this land and expand model. There's always a temptation to look to other markets and to think that we can kind of clone and repeat what we're doing somewhere else. Balancing the pros and cons, starting a new market. When you're starting from scratch, you have potentially immediate labor costs, but not a lot of revenue to offset that. What is the approach? Do you always go with a boots on the ground approach? Is your back office strong enough that you're able to have no boots on the ground immediately? How do you approach that? No, we, we always start with boots on the ground. It's always that one person that you hire that's actually, they kind of wear the mini hats, business developer, property manager, you know, maintenance coordinator, they're everything. We fully have to hire right. And, and our thing is the diminished return. In our certain markets, Phoenix is a down market. There's lots of competition, plus everybody should be selling their properties. It's a good time if they have lots of equity. And so we can run our, run our analysis. Hey, our acquisition to acquire someone in Phoenix is about double as it was in Atlanta. And so how can we minimize the cost of opening a new market? And so we, we kind of built a thing to really keep our costs down in the expansion where we actually, you know, that one person that we, we hire, we actually give a revenue share. As we grow, they grow and they have a huge upside for that. We want them to be entrepreneurs. We want them to feel part of our, our growth. It was almost like owners. We don't want them to be franchisees. We want more hands-on than that. I believe we have better processes and things and more check that we bring more that we, we don't want just a franchisee. We won't actually... Someone that's bought in, but yet can can help wear those different hats. And so it's a little bit harder, you know, but ours is, we get them really cheap for these emerging markets. Um, you know, they're profitable in four to eight months, depending on the market. And so if we can hey, get our return in four to eight months, start paying back the initial investment, and then a year to, to 14 months, it's totally paid back, and it's just cash flowing. Uh, it makes sense for us to go to these other markets where we can gather 20, 30 doors with, with minimal advertising cost compared to Phoenix and Vegas or wherever we're at where we have a, a large portfolio. It just makes sense for us, but you do have to keep the cost down. And it's hard is because it's a little bit sexy to have a new market open. And we've run into that. You know, we have a couple markets we're too, too far ahead of, and we realized that and now we're kind of paying the cost for it. And so you kind of have to, to bridge that, but there's so many hot markets. And, but we also like the coverage. We like to say, Hey, sell in Phoenix, but go buy in Atlanta and Dallas where we have markets or wherever, wherever it may be. We kind of play that card a lot with our investors. It's not necessarily the, the best ROI on that, but that's one of the factors that helps us is, hey, we are a nationwide company. And getting that coverage does help. But yeah, I think you have to kind of relay and be, be smart and tactical about it and which market you can go into. We just kind of figured out an easy way to do it where we can really get our, our return on our money pretty quickly. So what is the break-even point? How many doors are you talking about scaling to before you're in the black on a, on a new market? So really, it's, it's, it's not on how many doors, it's how many doors you're acquiring a month. We do a, a variable 50% of one month's leasing fee usually in the markets. So that's where most of your revenue comes for. So once you reach about 20, 30 doors and you're still signing up six to eight leases, we're, we're in the black basically because it's the revenue share model. As we grow, we're, we're paying these agents based on the 1099 independent contractors. They sign up more doors, get more fees, they get more money. When Denver, we hit it really quickly. She's a, a rock star there and, and the market's extremely hot right now. So we hit that really quickly. In Atlanta, we didn't hit that too quickly. It's still a hot market. We actually get our most leads in Atlanta, but it's just a little bit more competitive and, and the landscape's a little bit different. 
Um, it took a little bit longer. That one took about nine months before we really kind of seen the fruits of it. So it just kind of depends. So it's a, it's a rev share with an independent contractor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So then talk to me about the back office model. There's a lot of talk about the back office mothership was going to do X, Y, Z and our systems and processes are so dialed in. I mean, for you, what passes the sniff test of what a functional back office service model should actually be providing to be able to say, you know, boom, we can launch into a new market and there's so much inertia. The flywheel is going fast enough in the back office that we we really feel like we can reproduce the same service level and customer experience market to market. Like what does that machine look like in your opinion? You know, I think I think it's twofold. One, the back office staff and processes that you have them doing. You don't want them doing too much where you need the person boots on the ground doing, even though it's going to be saving you money if you do it in the back office. But you need the boots on the ground doing certain things, communication, establishing relationships, making sure that that fine line is you're not doing too much. Our on the boots ground person is still coordinating maintenance. They're the maintenance coordinator. Person paying the bill, uploading the invoices, doing all that paperwork is in the back office. They do a lot of the paperwork, but the communication, the the coordination is all done with that person on the ground. And then other ways, just making sure you can't drop the ball. For us, we had to use technology. There's no way we can do this without the technology that we had to develop ourselves to make sure there's nobody when we're passing those batons, they are getting clearly passed and no no drops. And we actually want it seamless. We want the best baton passing we can get, especially when you're not there. They don't know each other even. We do video conferencing a lot and stuff like that to help make sure they build up relationship between staff. But when you don't have that buy-in from, we call them account managers basically here that do a lot of the work, you can lose some things. And so the technology really helps bridge those gaps. And being 100% paperless companies is key. You couldn't do this if you had any kind of paper anywhere. Everything's digital. And so it allows us to make sure, and that's, that's the key for me, if, if they're doing too much in the back office where they're using too much technology, too much of their hourly employees to really produce the service, that for me is a red flag. I want my service. I want my person on the ground really involved. And so how can we make them efficient though still with, with doing the back office and, and teaming it up? I think technology plays a big role in that. And we're constantly changing, not tweaking, but I guess tweaking is the, the right word of what our portfolio managers do compared to what our, our back office account managers do and making sure it's a good balance where the portfolio manager is involved and it's really running the show and total fiduciary for those landlords. And then the, the making sure we're efficient and make sure we can be more profitable with those back agents doing a lot of the paper pushing stuff. Interesting. So based on what you described, how do you relate to the typical conversation about departmental versus portfolio? It sounds like you're, it's more of a portfolio type model with a bunch of it being done by corporate. Exactly. Yeah. Ours is, hey, it's a show. We're portfolio managers 100%. They have no idea there's a back office to our clients. Um, they do everything. If they have a problem with their statement, they're not calling accounting, they're calling the portfolio manager. We like that model. We, we're trying to be the total fiduciary. We're, we're talking about, hey, we're not just rent collectors, we're wealth builders. We're helping the investor be successful, landlord be successful, the, the resident be successful, and our vendors be successful. We think that's a total fiduciary responsibility. And it, and it might be, hey, this, this portfolio manager needs to tell them, hey, Landlord, looking at the numbers, here's the numbers I ran. It might be a good idea to sell and, and split that in 1031 that's into two properties in Memphis. And they can't have that relationship or the credibility to say that if they're actually not the expert and have that relationship built up. And so how do we build that relationship and trust is through these interactions of maintenance and um, inspections, leasing the home, and making sure that they're actually 
totally responsible and in the know of the property. They've seen the property. They know when, hey, I need to paint this you know, white. I remember that because I remember the property was a beige color and outdated. We needed to get it right um, to make sure it can sell or rent again. We really want that portfolio manager to be the expert, helping with all the rental investments aspects of it. And you really can't do that if you're departmentalized. They just get different interactions from six different people. They really never build the relationship with a person. They build it with a company, which brings us pros and cons. Um, if our portfolio managers leave, we do have a little bit of a, a lag because they built a relationship with that portfolio manager. We really have to take care of our portfolio managers to ensure that the relationship's established and they stay put. Um, or if they do leave, it's a good exit and can relate to the next portfolio manager. So you brought it up. I mean, how do you structure that? How vulnerable is the model to the portfolio manager leaving and trying to poach clients? Um, we, we just make it so they, they don't want to leave. Um, you know, it's, it's possible to do what we're doing without the resources and tools that we have on their own. And so that's one way to make sure if they're exiting to a different industry or a different position that's not correlation, and then that's, that's going to happen, you know, better opportunity somewhere else. But if they're exiting to start their own portfolio, you know, we definitely have the agreement set up. It really doesn't, you know, it's not a big thing to have non-competes. It's more about, hey, you can't do this on your own. And we provide them a great living. We pay our property manager, portfolio managers more than anybody uh, around because, hey, they're sharing in the growth. And so they have a potential to make great money, which they couldn't do on their own. And that's what we target us. Those people that have the skill set and want to run a business and have the great skill sets, but just don't quite know how to do it and really capitalize on everything. And they, they can't wear all the hats, but they can wear maybe 60% of them. And we love those people because we can bring them in. And get the best of both roles. Hey, don't worry about those other 40% of hats. We can take care of that for you. We can market. We can do the account manager. We can do the digital, the systems. All you have to worry about are your, what you're good at and the skill set. And so we make it more of a symbiotic relationship where they're successful. And then in turn, we're successful. But we do give up a lot of revenue. A lot of, a lot of money goes to these portfolio managers. And we're okay with that. We want everybody to be successful. We want to grow. And that's our whole philosophy is we talk about the customer experience, but we also talk about our employee experience and making sure they're happy and, and it goes a long way. But yeah, to minimize that, that's where everything's digital. So if they do end up leaving or we have to let somebody go, everything's digital and, and the notes are in there. And it's just like a departmentalized. We do just as much software and task management as a departmentalized, but it's all in our system. So if they do leave, we definitely hurt for a little bit, but we can pick up the pieces pretty quickly. Mm, okay. So this is an interesting point. So potentially the technology can augment how, how vulnerable you are in terms of independent people doing X, Y, Z. If you're using technology to have an aggregate view and to manage what's going on in a more centralized way, I can see that. So let's talk about the tech stack. Philosophically, what is the opportunity of technology in this business? We see some companies like Castle, for example, that spun up, had a bunch of developers, and it turned out to be overkill. It was just too much tech applied to an opportunity that, that couldn't sustain that level of investment. On the other side of the spectrum, you have folks that are still kind of living in, in the Stone Age using old software. How do you approach when it's appropriate to make that investment? Yeah, I think that's the, the burning question now. You know, we even seen like mine coming in and these that have great technologies and Castle it was a great technology. I looked at it. It was awesome. You know, it had some, brought a lot of great things for us. Our approach is we're doing it in segments. We're doing it to make sure, Hey, there's, there's certain segments we have to work on. One's the employee experience and efficiencies that we need to do that we need to build in order to do what we want to do. And then also the customer experience. 
I think a lot of times our customers, though, are not driving our technology. The tenants are, the residents are for sure. They, they want certain technology, but our landlords sometimes are just a little bit old school. Uh, we even have, you know, probably 800 owners that still get paper statements that we continually try to educate that it's all digital, man. You can look on your portal all the time and do all those cool things and, and they don't care. Like, just give me my money and send me a paper statement. I like to mark off my paper statements. I don't know. You know, like, it's just, it's crazy to us. And so what we philosophy is, is, hey, we are, we're going to provide a great service and then technology is going to supplement that and help us build and support that great service. And so that's what we look for. Uh, we look for opportunities that might not be overbearing. And there might be little tidbits here and there and help build that line upon line almost concept of, hey, this customer, I'm going to give them a little bit here, but my end goal is for them to be way up here and be really tech savvy with it. But I can't just jump to that tech savvy at the very top. I have to build a line upon line upon line upon line before they actually can understand it and feel the value of it. For us, it's, it's kind of twofold. So we've done a lot of things internally for employee experience and efficiencies a lot and less on the customer experience. And we're also, we're using a, a third-party system for our management software. And so we're kind of stuck in some things that we can or can't do as well. So that's part of it. But also it's just, you know, query your, your customers, see what they want. You know, we throw out pictures and ideas of, hey, we built this little, you know, app and concept. Throw it out to your customers, see if they like it and see if they would find value in it. And sometimes it's hard because you can't educate them completely what the benefit it is, but just see the engagement level and then, okay, that's a high engagement level. Let's figure out how to do this. If it's a low engagement, let's just put that on the back burner and put that as a cool factor that, hey, this is cool, but really they don't really care about it. So we'll, we'll figure it out later. I think that's one step that a lot of people have a problem with. I think, you know, I did that first or my other company, me and my partner were just, hey, let's do technology. I love technology. And he would, he still the value of it. But sometimes we release things that were just really cool and we thought were edged and going to change the industry. And no one caught on. They didn't, they didn't really care. You know, like, I don't care, man. Just, where's my check? Is my check on time? Like, what? I just released this whole cool thing that we worked on for two months and try to benefit the benefit, benefit, benefit to them. And they don't care. That's where our philosophy is. It's just, hey, let's build upon segment by segment. But also, where we're at, we don't have any capital investment or PE money. We're building on cash flow. So we don't have, we can't hire 10 engineers, you know, man. It's, it's me and some other people that we hire. And, and you know, we, we kind of contract out. And so we really have to be uh, methodical on what our strategy is to, to bring technology into our, our processes. Yeah, doing it in waves where it's sustainable. That makes sense. Are you guys using one of the, the big four property management softwares for operations? Yeah, you know, we use Propertyware. You know, they need to get that free open API, truly open, and then we'll <laughs> continue to use them. But yeah, we use that. And then we have a supplement. We use Salesforce. I've been on Salesforce in my last company for 10 years. We've used that for more internal functions, workflow management, lead nurturing. Um, and so we kind of build that out. And that's our goal is to keep segmenting out to Salesforce what we can. We bring our books into there. We have everything in there except for the portals and uh, customer interactions, really. That's once they're a client is, is all through property. Where mm, okay. Property. Uh, so let's dive into this whole concept of the utility of the property management software. If you think about it as kind of a, a pyramid or a triangle, most folks view the property management software as being the base, like the necessary thing you must have. And then everything else is built on top of that. When we think about what's at the core of the property management software, fundamentally, it's accounting, right? Trust accounting is at the core of it. And there's a lot of cool features and functionality built on top of that. What's interesting, though, is that in most businesses or most industries, accounting is not viewed as a really competitive advantage. It's kind of like a hygiene factor. It's necessary. It must be done well and accurately, but it's not going to be 
the real game changer in the business. And yet, most companies in terms of their tech stack are anchored against the property man. That decision that they make on what, a, what trust accounting software to use radically determines the rest of their tech stack, data portability, et cetera. You have some tech capabilities more than most, more than your average management company in-house because of your expertise. And yet you're still you're still chained to, to the property management software, man. Like walk me through why this is such a, a persistent crusty element that is so hard for folks to to ditch with the opportunity being in other industries concept like own your own data data portability is just a given but here 10 20 years in it's like you know maybe someday we'll see it's still county but still has a lot of facets of of features that and modules that are complex you know like it is a user management it is a crm it is a electronic signature document storage it is accounting it's draws ach for us, those hurdles are a little bit hard, especially if you're, you're going to build your own software internally. ACH pricing is ridiculous. I'm not going to pay five bucks to Stripe to every time I, I draw an owner. You know, I'm like, I can't do that. And then the, the program around that, there's some loopholes that we're doing through. It's still going to be 50 cents to a dollar per draw. And we're, that's where we're paying a property wear. So it's, it's the cost benefit there is we're going to pay more and plus pay our engineers and support staff. And it's so hard to, to do that, but it's a total need. And what you're talking about, I feel like those big players is they're gearing towards the property manager and their efficiencies, and they don't care about the customer and the customer experience. And for us, we want to be the opposite. I'd rather have a better customer experience and then maybe make us work a little bit more internally on the employee efficiencies. And so it's weird how that's facing is the property manager mindset, though, is it's not customers. It's, it's them first, how to make more money for me and be efficient. You can see like RealPage is, is gearing towards what the, their customers wanted. Their property managers wanted, hey, can I get more revenue? Here's some avenues to get more revenue. It was never about the experience. We barely had a new UI that's been you know forever. So, And I, I know why they're doing it. And I, I agree with them. Hey, go with what your customers want. I mean, property managers don't care about the UI or care about what the customer wants. But I think that's changing and evolving. And I think we're seeing the gas for that finally with Castle and Mind and those other, even, you know, all these big players coming into the space is they're realizing, hey, we got to get on this bad wagon of, of really helping the customer. And if they catch on, I don't want to say that because I love property. They're a great relationship with us, but it'd be great if we can ditch them and create our own because then I can have total control, but it's just not feasible almost unless you have a big investment or you're willing to put in the cash and the time. And, and we don't see the value until we come bigger. And I don't know if we even see that value. It's, it's going to be hard and difficult. And I come from the software world. It's, it's hard, man. It's, it's extremely hard to build a software. And there's not a lot of, Salesforce is very customizable. You can do a lot with it, exchanges and stuff, but then you're paying a licensing fee and you're building on a platform that you can't control. So there's a lot of benefit to it, but it's the only big players can really do it. These, if you have 500 doors, don't waste your time building your own software. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. you know, it's just not going to go anywhere or even supplements. Just find things that help or interact with propertyware, you know, or get the API in propertyware. And good luck with the API they have right now, but just figure out how to build it. You build upon it. Uh, have you guys had success extracting information out of property where be the JSON? We love them. <laughs> but uh, it's difficult. No, it's difficult. And it's it's almost like, why are we doing this? Um, type of value. <laughs> I can pay an hourly employer eight bucks an hour to double it, data entry, everything, you know, and it'll almost be cheaper. It really is. And so that's what's hard is once we get to a scale, maybe we can really see the value of it. But, you know, that's why we're, we're pushing for their, their rework. They're reworking that API. We appreciate that, making the rest of the API. And, Really, we want it to be open. They say it's open, but you have to pay for it. Once they get that glitch and see the value of that, we can really take off. And, and I think that's when 
we can actually build upon our, our processes and be more efficient. If let's just use what they got and then we'll build upon it, man. I think, I think our industry will start taking off and more and more people could do it. And then when you have 500 doors, you could do that. You know, you can just hire a little programmer two weekends to, to build a certain API module for you and it'd be real quick. Well, you're probably even in a tougher spot because the truth is when people say they want an API, they really don't. They want a retail experience where you go in, you click a button, the slider goes over and it says, you are now integrated with property model or, you know, something like that, which is great. Right? Like, you don't, you're not buying the drill, you're buying the whole, I get that mindset, but there's, there's something lost in the conversation about APIs, which is the real outcome that people are after. The great thing about having your own podcast is you can talk about whatever you want. So indulge me on this concept of just kind of deconstructing the software value chain. If if we ignore the names of the specific vendors, Propertyware, Salesforce, Lead Simple, whoever, and you just think about the actual pieces, like what are the core elements that if you had the budget, right? Let's say you're at 20,000 doors. What are the core elements or, or pieces that you would ideally want to assemble for like the perfect build? Oh man, yeah. I dream about this every night. So I'm glad you're incredibly in Jordan, man. It's everything in software. I think the big thing is the customer interaction, the portals, the dynamicness of it, how you interact with them, statements, everything. The key for me is just, that'd be huge. Maintenance. There's a lot of things you can do in that sphere that customers are already used to in other departments and other industries. We just want to apply what they use in Gmail and put it in here. Or, you know, what they're using their invoicing software. They're, they're used to this or Facebook or Twitter, Instagram. They're used to all these things that were kind of pigeonholed behind our system. And so that's the number one is the customer interaction. Portals for tenants, vendors, and, uh, and landlords. And also the prospective tenants, how they come on board and how much data we can store from them. That's what we use a lot of the API for is just gathering data. We're just gathering data. So we can use our other systems to market to them or, or give them another experience outside of property where then push it to them. And it doesn't work too effectively, but it's still there. You know, that's what we're really using it for. And so that's where I'm high on is the experience and, and automation of that as well, where they're self-service. If we can figure out the self-service of the customer, oh man, that's when our issue, you know, our property manager, portfolio manager, they really all they have to worry about is the big stuff. And that's key for us. And it's so hard when you have a closed off system. And it's hard picturing in my mind. I can't even picture the best system to have a truly immersive self-service platform for our landlords and tenants. But there's lots of ideas there. And then just, you know, transparency with that as well. So, I don't know. Everything I'm talking about is customer experience, but I feel like that's what it is. And then employee automation and workflows. And I think Salesforce does a great job with that. And that's what we use it for a lot as well as the workflow automation. Right now, when we have a, like a refund come through for a landlord, hey, we overcharged them a fee or something like that. It goes through the portfolio manager, the account manager, the accounting, and they have to do double entry transfers, and then they have to go to the bank that the transfer. Like, why can't the portfolio manager click a button and say refund? And maybe we have an approval process. They click refund, and it automatically takes ACH out of the bank and transfers it, creates the journal entries for us. And like, I can build that in two minutes. You know, I mean, like that's what I want. You know, but big players can't do that because then it has ACH. They have some other loopholes and security issues with multiple thousands of clients. Whereas me, if I had a single instance that I can build upon, my security is tight. I can I can do stuff like that. I think it's twofold with the customer experience and the employee automation would be game changers. I think are interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So when you think about the barriers between you and this perfect thing that that you would want, I mean, 
what are the unique challenges to this industry? How is the property management software standing in the way? Because what I hear you talking about there are just pieces, Legos, if you will, you can assemble in the way that makes sense for your company. And in a lot of other industries, there are SDKs and APIs and interfaces. Look at uh, Podio, for example, or uh, Podio would be a good example because it is more of a, a Lego kind of stacking system. Salesforce obviously represents that. HubSpot to some degree. What are the main impediments there? What's standing in the way? There's so much to do with it. Like the, the, that's where you the podium on the Salesforce, the stacking of and integration is is the key there. Is but think of like a, why would real page or at folio or yardy why would they go their time to build out every single little thing when only hey 100 property managers might use this one piece and a thousand might use this you know not everybody's going to take advantage of those their their core focus is going to be on what their main clients are going to use for us it's the more of the different dynamics of everything we want to build everything into one that's why salesforce and the force.climb platform is so valuable to us is I want one system. I don't want my Slack or sauna, my task management, my you know, email system, my everything. I don't want to have five different things I want to log into. I want to log into one thing and centralize that data and then use AI, use predictive intelligence, use lots of things that I can bring when I have data together. It's like Google. Why is Google so effective? Because they know everything about you. And they, Jordan, they know what sites you, you go on to. They know what you buy. And that's why their marketing platform is so much more advanced is because they know their customer. Well, if we can bring all those data points into one, and but that's a big pivot. That's that's a hard. You have one person thinks that's good at counting, and another system's good at task management. Another good system at lead nurturing. So how can you bring it into one? And that's why I feel like these databases like Salesforce and others can bring the APIs is so valuable because your endpoint of data is within Salesforce, and that's where you manipulate it. It might come from other sources, but it ends up in one place, and then you can become really powerful. But it's it's hard to do that. Hard to build all that. So I agree with you with the concept of having one home for your data. I don't know that that one home needs to do everything. The home that the single source of truth makes sense to me. Interoperability is the standard that opens up possibilities for you to be content to be able to use Slack and Asana and to have these things talk together. That seems to be the main sticking point with the property management software as it currently exists. The current wave of push that we're seeing right now is to get your data out in a clean, usable format. But an actual true two-way push doesn't seem like it's likely to be on the <laughs> horizon. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's it's not. But if you get, that's the biggest step is, hey, if you can get that data, at least analyze your data in one point, that's a huge step. That's why I think, like, think of the softwares that we have currently, that's so hard to expand upon them because they do have, you know, five different modules in them that they're not, they have to be great at each one of those. And so, you can see their difficulty in the software providers that we currently have. It's it's hard to keep building. That's why we have Slack. Slack does one specific, no, you know, does a lot of features, but it's after going after one niche of collaboration and task management a little bit, it's not trying to do email. You know, it's trying to replace email some, but it's still not replacing 100%. And so the difficulty is you can see the software, it's, it's a black hole when you think about everything that you can do. But there's lots of possibilities, but also that's where I think customization comes in is, Hey, uh, my, my staff and current staff that I hire like this. They like Slack. They don't like Glyph. It's dependent on each company as well. And you have to kind of build around your staff and build around what's just like with your customer base. Like, hey, I have my ideal customer. Well, really, your ideal customer is not your customers. So move your ideal customer down to who you're really attracting. We have to be honest with ourselves. This is who we're attracting. What do they use? You know, if I keep attracting people that are using papers and Excels for the lead nurturing, 
either I need to change my system or I need to hire somebody else to correlate with that. Yeah, interoperability, man. It's really hard to have a one size fits all solution at scale, right? So we want this this big scale system that does everything, but it still is unique to me and my personal preference. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there's a lot that's being asked for there. I want to transition here to the backside of the interview and I want to blow past the normal wrap-up section that we do. And I want to instead focus on this. I want to focus on one meaningful challenge that you have had over the last 90 days that's kept you up at night. Let's expand it to, to the last three, three to six months, man. Like what's one big hairy problem that you've you've been wrestling with? Uh, it's it's hiring, right, man. That's a big problem that we're we always face is not because we have great staff members. Great, I mean, like I think our property management portfolio managers are above world class above a lot of others but it's just high and right and buying that sinking in buying into our systems and software and especially with our emerging markets where you know we open all these markets how do you keep them tight get that culture going and like you talked about keep it the same processes make sure we're symmetrical on all aspects and that's been a struggle for us is figuring it out we thought we figured it out we thought we have some great things that we're doing but yet there's so much more to do with that. And so we bring in some predictive hiring metrics and, you know, those, those personality tests, we do a lot of different things of how we approach them, how they approach us and trying to get like-minded people. And but that's been the biggest struggle of hiring the right people and then keeping them motivated because there's some people that are rock stars, but somehow we don't keep them motivated. And like, well, what happened? I thought we had a great system. Are we missing something? And so listening to that feedback is important and being dynamic. And that's something we're still, running on. I just, we just went through it two weeks ago. We made a change and it's like, why didn't we do this before? People were complaining about a year about this and we finally made the change. And like, we should have been more on top of it. We asked them to be responsive and yet we're not responsive to them. Finding those people and, and syncing them up has been the biggest, that's keeping me up every night, every night. I'm sure it will for the next five years. <laughs> hey, can I ask what, what the change was? What was the, the breakthrough? <laughs> just how we do our commission structure. You know, it's, it came back to their money, how they're getting it. And the timing of it. So one, how we be transparent with them, what we show them, how they got their, what their commission structure was and breakdown. I thought the report was fine, but it wasn't. They weren't reading it clearly and understanding it. And also when we pay them, we're paying them on a monthly basis. And now we changed to a bi-monthly basis. I didn't think it was a big deal. You know, I don't, I'm still going to get my money, but for some of these, especially starting out, you know, when you're going from zero, you're not making money for the, you know, two or three months. And so it was really important to them. And I just, we're just like, no, man, we monthly basis is, it's hard to do those reports by monthly, not hard, but at least takes us a few hours to do them because we have so many agents. And it's not automated through through propertyware. We have to kind of, we bring a couple things together to make sure and there's KPIs and stuff. Really the, the change it twice a monthly so they get paid faster was the biggest change. That was such a small thing for me. I should have done that a long time ago. Like it's, it hit, who cares if it's three hours? If they get a staff member to stay more bought in, it's worth 20 hours a month to do that. Yeah, it makes sense, man. You gotta gotta go with the flow. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about our industry, what would it be? Oh man, I wish we were more dynamic to to what the customer wants. I just feel like we're kind of um, stuck in our mentality of, hey, I know what the customer wants, but really, I don't think we have any idea really what they want and their needs are, and and really expand upon that and be dynamic to it. I, I think for now, it's it's we're doing a good job, but I think in the next five to ten years, we're going to be seeing a shift where it's going to be exponential. Just as technology is going exponentially, our customer experience needs to keep improving and, and be better and be more transparent. And, you know, we're not going to be able to get away with upcharging 40% for maintenance too long. We're going to be too transparent and they're going to demand transparency where you can't do it. We're going to have to be dynamic too. And I feel like 
I think the last couple of years have been, there's been a lot of progress. I feel like, you know, you know in props to Rangers Ross, I think they brought a lot of attention to our sphere and also they brought a lot of technology and things to help and in, in the hedge funds and the REITs and stuff has brought a lot of attention and, and expanded that. And I think they've broadened our scope and, and, and our vision, but I, I think that's huge. I like where you ended there, man. So let's close with this. And this is the thought around maybe the third wave or the third cycle of property management. The first is the old crusty industry that we know that's been transformed into an industry now that is more dynamic, that does have more technology involved, that does have a conversation around how to provide better service and to just kind of act like a 21st century business. But the thing you brought up about maintenance upcharges is just one example. I view that as a necessary and appropriate local optimization that many companies are just now kind of waking up to. And it makes sense. If you have room for charging more and for delivering more, I think it's great. But that local optimization is not going to be a long-term business model in the sense that if this opportunity is real, scalable, it's as great as we all think it is. More and more outside capital is going to come into this industry, and eventually somebody is going to be willing to exchange margin for market share. And that's where all of those local optimizations, which may be a good necessary thing to kind of catch up on, are going to slowly start to get eroded away. I appreciate your focus on customer experience. It's the future. We can wonder what's going to be different in the future, but in some ways it's more useful to assess and get clear on what's going to be the same. And diligently just obsessing about customer experience, we know that that's going to be the key to business from now until kingdom come. So appreciate you coming on and preaching the good word on that. Ben, if folks want to learn a little bit more about RentVest, what's the best place for them to go? Just go to rentvestpm.com. Look it up. You can email me, Benton at rentvestpm.com. We're always available. We love talking shops. So really appreciate what you're doing, Jordan. We, We enjoy your podcast. I've been I'm a little late to the party, just barely started listening a couple months ago, but uh, you bring a lot of value. And so appreciate you having me on and appreciate what you're doing. Just keep doing it, man. It's a pleasure, man. All right. Well, hey, hopefully we'll see you at PM Grow in Austin next year. Yeah, I'll be there for sure, man. All right. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show. And the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.